are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, my name is Umar Hamid and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast where we explore mindset, how leaders grow their people, their teams, their organizations, and their revenue. Looking for more? Join us on the Mindset Boosters group. You'll find the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. Today, I have the privilege of having Jeff Borowitz here with me today. Jeff is a sales master. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hi, Umar. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Brilliant. Jeff, you know, we can talk about all the fancy stuff in the world around sales and process, but there's common mistakes that keep on happening. What's one of the common mistakes that salespeople do that you see a lot of? You know, I think one of the, there's many, many different things that salespeople do, but one of the, I think, the biggest opportunities for improvement for salespeople is they just don't do enough of the pre-call planning work. They just show up and want to wing it on the sales call. Uh, matter of fact, I just read a study uh, from a company uh, called the Sales Board that 96% of salespeople have no written objective prior to going on a sales call. But Jeff, you need to understand that us salespeople, we're like we're like artists, and and it's like we connect. And of course, if you don't know what you're going for, it's hard to get. So how does a company? Because a lot of VPs are probably pulling their hair out trying to get them to actually do the pre-call planning. How do you indoctrinate that behavior? Well, I think it's got to become part of the culture. And you know, I can't remember who said this. But somebody said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will do. And I think too many salespeople take that approach because they don't have a process of pre-call planning behind them. And everybody says, oh, just do some research and go in and, uh, and read the walls and, and, and you'll, you'll connect with them because we're like salespeople are like actors and artists and they'll just make it work. And it's amazing. I just I was recently on a sales call, a real face to face sales call, which in the time of COVID is you know rarely much rarer than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a, I was doing a ride along with one of my clients' salespeople, and he actually did his pre call plan, but he walked in to the client's office, and he the client you know what a fathead sticker is? Yes. Yeah. So he had a, this client had a fathead sticker of his kid who was probably nine or ten years old playing soccer. On his wall. Well, the sales rep I was with was really excited because he's a youth soccer coach. Yes. So he thought he had a great way to connect. And they spent 52 minutes talking, talking about soccer. Youth soccer. And when we finally got ran, and, and about, you know, most of the time I was looking for a way of, you know, killing myself while I was on the call <laughs> <laughs> with him. And, 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 when we finally got around to having the discussion of why we were actually there, the client said, Oh, you know what? I've got a hard stop. And we never got to the purpose of the call. When we walked out of the call, we got in the car, the sales rep looked at me and goes, that was a great call. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, did you see how I connected with him? And I said, huh, do you have your pre-call planning sheet? He goes, yeah. I said, can you pull it out? Sure. I said, what did it say the objective today for today's call was? He said, oh, the objective of today's call was to get him to agree to a to a, a paid trial of our software. I said, did you accomplish that? He said, no. 
but I built great rapport with him. Yes. And I said, and I said to him, was that the goal of today's call? And he said, well, no, but I still built great rapport. Well, you know, Omar, one of the rules in Sandler is that time kills deals. The, the person set an appointment for two weeks out. Well, that appointment got canceled. And by the time they finally were able to reconnect on the phone, which was four weeks later, would he know it? They had agreed to do a paid trial with one of his competitors. That hurts so badly when that it's happened to me before where I've not stayed in touch with a client. And then they're like, oh, I'm glad you called. But we hired another company and it was like not bad on them, bad on me for not being a good salesperson. Right. Right. And in, in this case, bad on him for not following a pre-call plan. And if you have, you know, a good pre-call plan has really just four parts to it. And, the, and I, I, so spell it out. What are the four parts? The four parts are the purpose of the call. Mm -hmm. What the agenda is, what items do you not want to have on the agenda and what items, what items do they want to have on the agenda? The fourth part is the logistics. What are the logistics of the call? How long is it going to, when's it going to start? Where's it going to be? Is it on Zoom? Is it on Teams? Is it in person? Whatever it's going to be. Who is expected to attend? And also, most importantly, how long is it going to last? Because people want to know that there's going to be an end time that you're not moving in. And, and, and then the fourth part of the fourth part is the outcome. What is the outcome of the call going to be? Yes. And it's going to be mutually agreed upon. So those are the four parts, and I call it a PALO, P-A-L-O. And, and so when I'm working with sales organizations and salespeople, it's really about what was your PALO for the call? And so those are the four parts of, of, of a good pre-call plan, and we have six steps to doing a pre-call plan, which I'm happy to share if you want to hear. Sure. Before we go there, it's... Uh... So that's a classic example of uh, the great uh, philosopher, Mike Tyson. <laughs> Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And he, he got gobsmacked by, hey, we got this thing in common. And it, I think that's brilliant. He should have done that for about five minutes and yeah. then transition over to what he was there to do, not 55 minutes. And then I was like, oh, offside, <laughs> you got to leave. Yeah, and but that's but that's the key. In almost every sales call, you're gonna get smacked in the mouth at some point, and and, and that's why the Palo's great to help you stay on track. But the six steps of, of pre-call planning, which so let's go through that. What are the six steps? So again, the purpose of the call. You know, having a written objective for what the purpose of the call is, and really planning out that Palo. So pause there just for a minute. So would it be a fair statement to say, if you were my customer and I said, uh, Jeff, thanks so much for meeting with me today. The purpose of our visit today is, and just make it very, very explicit so both parties know? Yeah. You know, one, one of the things, people think they've got to obfuscate and, and hide the purpose of the call, and you really don't. It's a mistake because when when you don't give them what the purpose of the call is and it's not mutually agreed to and mutually understood and you don't share what the outcome is, the expected outcome is, which, you know, is not always a yes sign, sign contract, right? There's a lot of intermediary steps that can happen that are still good outcomes. 
But when we don't tell people what the purpose is and what the outcome or the decision we want them to make at the end of the call is, when we get to the end of the call, we are just smacking them upside the head out of left field to them, and they are surprised. And, and Umar, you know, if your listeners, the one thing I would tell you is this, remember this about sales, surprise is the enemy of yes. I'm going to write that down. A, a surprised mind almost always says no as a first reaction. So one of the reasons it does that is uh, right now, as you're sitting in your office, I'm sure it's a safe place, but the uh, reptile part of your brain is scanning the surroundings just in case there's a zombie attack. And when yeah. you're in a sales presentation and a surprise comes up, all of a sudden that part of your brain comes up and says, do I fight like hell or run like hell? And none of those things says yes. That's right. And, and, and so we want so we want to have a good palo is the first step, right? Yes. So we know the purpose. Then what's the step two? And so before I move to step two, they should write it down because I find when you write it down, I don't care if you type it out, write it out, whatever, it gives you a chance to look at it and go, you know what? That's not exactly what I mean to say and, yep. and revise it. Um, so the second step is they, they should prepare in advance the questions they want to that they want to ask and need answers to you you will never be looked at as anything other than a consummate professional by your client if you come in with your questions prepared and you're not trying to go ah let me think what should i ask no 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 come in with a written worse you get back in the car and you go oh my god yes i forgot to ask that one question i'll call him back you'll never get him on the phone that's exactly right and that's, so and that's what we want to avoid is that that false gumping moment when we get in the car and we go, ah, oh, I forgot. So that's the second step. The yes. third step is I want them to be a pessimist. Uh, you've, have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? I have. Yeah. We so had it Murphy's- today when we had technology difficulties hooking up on this podcast. Yes, I'm familiar with it. So Murphy's Law says that anything can, can go wrong will go wrong. Mm-hmm. Well. I believe in O'Malley's corollary, which says that Murphy was an optimist. (laughs) I want them to be a pessimist. I want them to think of what could go wrong. What are the possible objections or stalls that the client's going to bring up? Are they going to think of everyone? No, but have some prepared so that when you get them and you get punched in the mouth, as Mike Tyson would say, you have that you can stick to your plan. It's really, really important. So just going to break, stopping you there for a moment, pick any industry, any time in history, pretty much, you know, the basic objections, the basic food groups are going to be, I'm going to pick five. It's like, it's the price. We already got somebody in place. Uh, We're too busy right now. And none of those have changed. And yet it's a surprise to salespeople when that comes up. It's like, uh, what do I do? And it should be the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Mark. My kids tell me I'm old. Right, I'm 53 years old, and my kid, my teenage kids think I'm ancient, and yep. I guess I did when when my parents were that age too. You thought and, 45 was old, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and you know my kids are pretty sure that I rode dinosaurs to school, right? But but and you're right, it hasn't changed since the beginning of time, and and in 30 years of selling uh, professional sales, I have never ever given a price to somebody and had them say to me, "Oh wow, Jeff." That is much lower than we thought it was going to be. Where do I sign? 
Yep, that has never happened in the history of humanity. So yes, I think you're right. There is a there's a definite in every industry has a definite group of and objections. And what you want to do is you want to write those down and be a pessimist. Think of what's going to come up and, and what you're going to do, do when that happens. Because most salespeople here will make the mistake of trying to justify, defend, and explain why that objection is not valid. And that right. is absolutely wrong. Because, Umar, you're a professional salesperson. Are all sales, are all objections authentic or are some fake? Of course, some of them are fake. Yeah. And sometimes it's out of politeness. I don't want to say no. So I'm going to just uh, give an excuse to save face because my mom told me if you don't have anything nice to say, lie. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I have a, we, I, we, we'll have to talk about this some other time, but I have a whole thing about the problems we have in sales that we can blame on our parents. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 but, you know, when we get an objection, you've got to resist the urge to justify, defend, and explain. And we really got to, we really got to instead use the questioning skills that we as professional salespeople should have to ask questions to understand the intent behind the objection. Pause you right there. There's probably more marriages have broken up because whichever spouse did not understand the intent of the issue because it was a red herring. And had they gone a little bit deeper, they would have gone, Definitely, I need to divorce that guy. No, but yeah, intent is so important. Yeah, no, totally. And and, and so we need to understand why why they're bringing that up and why are they bringing it up now? Especially if they've had previous opportunities to bring it up and didn't. And we need to discover, is this an authentic objection or is this a smokescreen objection? And so just backing up a little bit, this whole thing is predicated on you need to build a connection with your customer in a way that there is a lot of trust there. And if you've got enough trust, you can ask any question you want. And I understand in Sandler, you've got the contract up front, which is certainly incredibly useful, but none of that makes a difference unless you, difference unless you build that level of trust. And when you have that trust, people will go on the journey with you. That's right. And trust is, you know, matter of fact, I'll say that trust is the only thing that matters because yeah. If there's, I will tell you that we have a Sandler rule that says no trust equals no sale. People will buy from people they don't like, but they will never buy from somebody they don't trust. Absolutely. And so what's kind of interesting is I moved here from Canada. And one of the things in Canada that was interesting is they tend to be a lot politer than the Americans. And if they don't want to buy, sometimes they'll not string you along, but they just don't want to hurt your feelings. And so the sales cycles can stretch a lot over there compared to the U.S. At least in the U.S., it's like, yes, no, or get the hell out of here. But trust is critically important. Otherwise, people hide what they're feeling and what the real issues are. Yeah, and I, I wish it was true that in the U.S. it was yes, no, or get the hell out of here. Yeah. All too, all too often, it's, oh, let us think it over, or we'll get back to you, or can you call me next week? Please and send me some brochures. I, I love that. Literature, or can you give me a link to a web, your website? Really? I don't under, you know, sale. And say, what's amazing to me is that salespeople will accept those answers. You, you know, know why? Because they're afraid of no. Yeah. Because if you tell me the truth, don't tell me I'm ugly. Uh, just give me some excuse. I'll buy it. I'll go to my manager. I think we're close. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say about 50% certainty is coming in next month. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, it's funny because, it, you know, Umar, if 
you asked me if you called me and asked you to ask me to pick you up at the airport next Friday at San Francisco airport because you were coming into town and you said I'll be in about three o'clock and if you called me and I said to you oh three o'clock on Friday hmm traffic's gonna be tough um and Friday's a tough day for me um yeah you know Omar I can probably be there I mean like yeah 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 okay yeah I can probably pick you up how are you going to feel about your chance of being picked up at the airport? Pretty much zero. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have Uber ready to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet, so things we won't accept in our personal life, we'll gladly accept in our professional life. You know, and, and salespeople will go, oh, yeah, you want me to call you next week? Okay, I can call you next week. And salespeople just leave it at that. They don't go, well, what day and time should I call you? Yeah. And also a very Sandler kind of thing is, so you're going to be on the call, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Once you've got that, just to make sure, just double check. So it all comes down to very much the superhuman ability that we all have as human beings. I'm not sure if you know this. I've done deep research into this. It's rationalizing things. Yes. Like we can rationalize anything away. And if you look at the word, we don't use language accidentally. It's rational lies that we tell ourselves to feel good about ourselves and have the hope. Because, you know, this month, this is probably the worst year ever for like health clubs. Yeah. Pandemic. But in a normal year, they would have brought in a ton of cash in January. Yep. Because some people, after going one visit, it's like just having the membership is close enough to me having a great body. I don't have to go there, right? Right. You know, I, I've got I've got a buddy of mine that uh, used to run marketing for 24-Hour Fitness. And, nice. uh, and he told me that if everybody that had a membership ever showed up, the club, the, they would, there would be a waiting line outside to get in because they, they would have overextended the amount of people that they could put in the club in a day, right? And, and, oh, for sure. And, and, you know, it's the only business model I've ever seen that is predicated on getting people to sign up for something that they won't use. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Because if they only sold, the, if everybody used their membership, they could only sell the capacity of the club, they would go broke. They can afford to be open. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I've got, there's an addictive sport called squash. Uh-huh. Every day, every weekday morning at 6.30, I'm on the court playing. And I'm one of the oddities in the club, I'm sure, because of uh, more the addiction to the game than the uh, addiction to being healthy. So let's go back to where were we in the uh, in the process? Yeah, so we've been, we've been through the first step of having a written uh, written Palo or upfront contract, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've been through the second step of writing down the questions we want to ask. We talked about the third step of being a pessimist, thinking about the objections. The fourth step is to be an optimist. Think about what could go right. And if everything and things go right, what it, I, I like to, I'm a baseball guy. And mm -hmm. so I like baseball. So I, they should have, they should figure out if things go right, what's my home run on this call? What is like perfect things go right? This is what I want to have happen next. If things go okay and I get a base hit, what does that look like? Right. And, and, and they should know, they should have written down, here's my home run. Here's my base hit. So that. They know what at the end of the call they they know what they're asking for, and then for sure. And then the fifth step is to write down what you think a good closing palo would be, right? As far as hey, what would if we're meeting again? We've decided to meet again now based on our single or home run. And what's the purpose of that meeting going to be? Get it mutually agreed upon, right? 
what's the agenda going to be? What are we talking about? What are the logistics? And what's going to be the outcome or decision that we're going to make at the end of that meeting, right? And 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 get that all mutually agreed upon before we walk out the door. And by the way, that next meeting should be calendared up before you walk out the door. Absolutely. Every person has a cell phone with them with a calendar on it. So I have actually been guilty of doing this where it's like, yeah, Jeff, we should meet. And then kicking myself for not putting on the calendar right there and then, because then you can't get a hold of them. Right. And then it's like you had an opportunity, they were ready, and the only person to blame is yourself. You know, and I, I saw something on LinkedIn, and of course, if it's on LinkedIn, it's got to be true. Um, Absolutely. Right? And they said that when people calendar things up on, uh, on their calendars, it's a 90% likelihood that it happens. Um, so and, even if we discount it down to 70% is way better than not doing it. Right. So yeah, even if you discount down to 70%. So, but you know, I, uh, one of the, one of the huge mistakes salespeople make is not calendaring up when they have the client in front of them or on the phone or on zoom, not calendaring up that next meeting, because if it gets on the calendar, it most likely is going to happen. So nobody is going to have a meeting with you on that second meeting. If there wasn't a level of interest, right? They're going to make all kinds of excuses. So if they got a level of interest, you might as well capture that in a bottle right there and then rather than risk it. But I think some people want to just get out of the get out of that office with what they think is a win yeah. without screwing it up in some way. And dear salesperson, if other people need to be at that meeting, get the meeting with the person you're meeting with calendared. And then once you've got a calendar, say who else needs to be in this meeting? That's right. And add to it rather than say, before you calendar it, who else needs to be here? Then it's like, oh, let me think about it. And then you'll lose the opportunity. Yeah. Get it, lock it down, and then ask who else needs to be there. Yeah, and salespeople will, will use that as an excuse. But really, it's again, they're terrified of the word no. and and Or they feel like it's being pushy to ask for the next meeting. And so it all comes down to our beliefs on what we believe about selling. And the number of people I meet that are, let's say, bankers or engineers, yeah. and they go like this, literally hands get pushed out in front of them like they're warding off an evil spirit it's like i'm not a salesperson yeah uh, right it's part of your job oh getting clients it's like that you're a salesperson which brings us to the sixth step of pre-call planning which is mindset having yes. a, having a supportive mindset and 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 understanding that a listen my wife uh work, works for a tech company in a project management role and she doesn't she definitely does not feel like she's a salesperson but she mm -hmm. has come to the realization that she still has to sell her ideas and her processes to the stakeholders in the different projects and that she is a salesperson. I have a brother-in-law. My, my brother-in-law is an engineer and he, he's really proud. He's got this shirt that says engineer and it says a person who solves a problem you didn't know you had in a way that you don't understand. And he's really proud of that. Yes. And, and as he's progressed in his sale in his in his engineering career, he's not he's he's found out that guess what? He has to do a whole lot of sales. And so people don't like to think of it as sales, but listen, we all sell. Just remember back when we used to be able to go to the movie theater? Yep. Uh, you have, I had to sell my wife on what movie to see a lot of times. And Absolutely. And Jeff, do you have any kids? I do. I have a I have a 13 year old and an 18 year old, which is terrible. So I'm not sure how they are right now at sales, but I bet you 100 percent when there were three, they knew which parent to ask and how to ask to get what they wanted. And we lose that magical gift. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, we can't sell. I don't want to be pushy. What will yeah. they think of me? And when we're three, it's like, hmm, if I want this, I have to go to dad. 
and say this magic phrase and he's going to say yes. And for the other thing, I have to go to mom and we all sell. Yeah, my daughter, my daughter's 13. She's still, she's still, she parent shops all the time. And it, my daughter has figured out that if she's going clothes shopping, she wants dad. Of course. Because dad says yes to almost everything. Mom is very judicious in what, you know, I would never spend $120 on a pair of sneakers, right? Yeah. <laughs> he says, daddy, can I please have a pair of sneakers? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I go to the cash register and hand the person my credit card. And I go, wait, how much did I just spend? Um, and, and, you know, I, a few years ago when uh, my my daughter is 13, so when the Warriors started being really good, she was little. Yes. And so my daughter, it's not a wonder that she's a Warriors fan, right? She grew up when the Warriors were the best team in the NBA. And so a few years ago, we were at the mall. And she wanted a pair of Currys, uh, the Curry shoes. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, we can go get those. And I paid my $125 for the Curry sneakers. You got uh, a flight. Uh, yeah, I did. They were on sale. Uh, it was a back to school sale. And 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 my and my wife, uh, when we got home, my wife saw him. She she looked at me. She goes, "You never, ever, ever would have done that for Jack, my son." And I looked at her. I said, "Yeah, you know what? You're probably right." But her love was for sale, and I was buying. And and she understands how to sell me, right? Yes. I'm dad almost all the time. But when she wants clothing, I'm daddy. Oh, I love it. Right. And she, she gets it. And so, and, and so that mindset becomes very, very important. We have to have a belief in what we're doing and, 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 and have a positive belief that we're not being pushy. If you really feel you're there to help somebody solve a problem that they have, then why would you ever feel pushy for helping them? If your friend needed help moving a couch up the stairs and you walked by, you wouldn't watch him struggling with the couch and say, well, I'll see you later because you didn't want to be pushy and say, hey, can I help you? So why why do we do that in our person, in our real life? And, and, and it just, it's amazing to me that salespeople feel that way. And we need to really have a strong belief system that what we're doing has value for the client, has value to help them solve a problem. And, and, and really, is value that we are adding we personally are adding value to the situation because i would tell you this i think i told you before salespeople can be like actors and artists i'll also add this and salespeople can be a lot like doctors mm -hmm. we, we need to be doctors and ask really good questions like the doctors do but what I'll, one of the things i'll tell you is that your is that your doctor when they finally prescribe a solution they, they believe it's the right solution for you. And as a result, they don't ask you, would it be okay if I prescribe some erythromycin? They tell you, we're going to do some erythromycin, right? And, and they, because they have a very strong belief system, what they do. And as salespeople, we have to have a very strong belief system because my belief is this. If you try to sell somebody something that you don't, that they don't need, you are committing sales malpractice. Yes. On the same time, if you, fail to sell somebody something they do need, you are also guilty of sales malpractice. Those are words to live by. Jeff, thank you so much for creating this jam-packed 30-minute high content. People can use it, execute. Shows your mastery. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a thrill to be here. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. 
And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 